Welcome to another of our Learn With Sue Walk & Talk podcasts. This is the place where we talk all things positive psychology, emotional intelligence and neuroscience about being the best we can be. And I am lucky enough to be joined by somebody who I've known for many years, although we don't get to spend much time together, but the amazing Susie Green. Hello. Hello, Sue. It's wonderful to be here with you. And yes, it has been a long journey, hasn't it? <laughs> well, this is the thing, like we, we often used to say that we would sort of pass each other at conferences and just sort of wave and go hello um but we have done some things together so we'll get into some really cool stuff that you've been up to because you've been working in this space for a while but for people who don't know you I know you as somebody who's really embedded in the positive psychology space the coaching psychology space you're a clinical psych you are absolutely gorgeous I am totally in awe of how perfect you look every time I am I say this all the time you always look so immaculate and there's me looking daggy ass um but you are so much more than all those things so how do you sort of define yourself of what you do and who you are wow that's a big one I well I really feel Sue as I I sense you do that this is what I'm meant to be doing while I'm here on the planet and I have felt that for a very long time so I'm really just riding that energy and I have been for a while and uh there's been a few bumps in the road along the way, but I think sometimes those bumps guide you to places that perhaps you're meant to be. And I often say to people for various reasons, you know, there's no science to this. <laughs> there's no science to this yet. But um, yeah, I do feel like this is what I'm meant to be doing. It really plays to every one of my strengths. And when I did the character strengths assessment, I did it back when it was first launched in 2004 and at the time as as often the first time that you do do the assessment I looked at them and thought oh really that's not me so I had you know zest energy and vitality never had really seen myself that way and then all of my friends went oh you're joking aren't you but I have to tell you Sue I I really do need those afternoon naps now when I can get (laughs) to maintain that level of energy but I have love of learning which is why I read journal articles for fun and textbooks for fun it's very hard for me to read a novel um, usually once a year in in the Christmas holidays creativity which again was a big surprise to me when I first did it because I'm not artistic and I thought it related more to art and then I realized no my creativity comes from looking at disparate pieces of science and yes my interest is positive psych and coaching but as a psychologist and a clinical psych I'm interested in the broader knowledge base of psychology so I love taking bits of research that an academic spent their whole career you know studying and they've never made a link to another piece of research so um and I'm 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 guessing here you're probably very good at that too so I love doing that that creativity and I've got curiosity and I'm a high hoper and I usually say can you I can't imagine a good coach with low hope anyway you couldn't coach if you weren't a high hoper so (laughs) so yeah that's me and I have a wonderful family around me I'm a grandparent now I'm uh, Gigi that's uh to two beautiful little boys and um yeah I'm living a pretty good life at the moment but of course there's always something so which is why we need all of these wonderful skills absolutely absolutely and it's so funny you just described your character strengths because we've never had this conversation before right. my number one is zest and <laughs> in the top in my top eight I've got the other four you mentioned 
really yeah well no wonder we get we've up. obviously got some similarities <laughs> here um, and I agree with you when creativity came up I'm like I'm not creative I'm so not artistic and then I'm like actually I am creative mm-hmm. because of the the seeing the connections and building upon and where systems and things overlap so yes. I totally relate so and after having seen you present many times over the years you will often pick up an area that hasn't been discussed a lot I've seen you do that quite a few times and I really appreciate that too I love seeing new pieces of research brought to to I guess the broader public's awareness yeah so yeah love it very good so you sort of um, started obviously from a clinical psychology perspective but really where I got to know you was uh, when you were at Sydney Uni and I got to know of your work through uh, Tony Grant and the Masters um, obviously the first in the world really of that Masters around coaching Um, so what was that sort of era like for you of um, and obviously I remember Tony very well I remember unfortunately his um, his uh, memorial at uh, Clovelly Bolo uh, but he contributed so much so what was that early period like when coaching really wasn't a a thing from a psychological perspective it was life-changing it was absolutely life-changing for me and uh, I remember when I first went up to meet him and he was blown away I was his first doctoral student and so he was blown away that someone else was interested in what he was interested in which is hard to believe now when you look at how widespread coaching psychology has gone so I'm very very blessed and privileged to have had that experience um, in meeting Tony doing a clinical doctorate on coaching as a mental health prevention intervention which for many years, no one took that seriously, really, until COVID has hit. And now people do see that it is a mental health prevention intervention. But yeah, it was very, um, it was a powerful time. It was very challenging for me. So if I'm really open and honest, um, have struggled with anxiety most of my life, although didn't bizarrely as a psychologist fully realise the extent to which I had it. I think, you know, I was a high functioning, they, they often describe it as high functioning anxiety. But um, when I've had this realization in fairly recent years, it, it really explains, it, it's been helpful for me to, to look at myself that way. Uh, but yeah, probably in the last seven or so years, it just left the anxiety's just left the building, which has been so freeing. And I don't know whether that's just part of turning uh, when I turned 50 and then you know, it's the uh, people don't, you don't seem to worry as much about things. And, and I, I'm much more comfortable in saying, I don't know, or I'm curious, or I'm less attached to things being what I think perhaps in the past they should have been. So I'm able to hold things a lot more lightly than what I did in, in my younger years, I would say. Yeah, I think there is something that comes with, and I, I never like to think it necessarily comes with age. I think it comes with experience and wisdom and learning, because I know some people who are in their 60s, 70s, 80s who True. haven't learned much. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, I do think it comes with learning and implementing tools. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm not so fussed anymore about what people think of me. If they like me, they like me. That's great. And if exactly. they don't, that's okay too. Not everybody has to like me. <laughs> no, and I think that's important in our field, Sue because there are horses for courses, if you want to use that phrase, but you and I and other you know, leaders in our field could be saying pretty much the same thing, but some people will relate to you and listen to you. And, but if I spoke, they'd say, what's that? <laughs> you know, what she's saying. So yeah. I think we need many voices in this space that many different people can relate to. 
Yeah, I totally agree. Absolutely. So if you then sort of move forward and we'll get to the all of the voices that are currently around. Yes. Um, but if we sort of move forward, you spent a bit of time in the academic space and, and yes and things like that and then building your own practice and now you are I mean you've been in this space longer than anybody really um, as far as the coaching psychology and that integration of post-psych and coaching psychology how have you seen it sort of morph and change it's amazing I was just reflecting on this because I had the opportunity to present at the health coaches Australia New Zealand Association conference it's a mouthful last week and I gave the dinner speech on the past, present and future of health coaching in Australia. And so it was a great opportunity to do some positive reminiscing, clearly. And uh, I held a symposium, the inaugural health coaching symposium back in 2006. And our colleague, uh, Dr. Gordon Spence was there. My close friend, Susie Burrell, who's a very well-known dietitian, was there. And there was really nothing happening in, in health coaching, but even coaching, there was your leadership coaching, but it was really cowboy territory in those days. <laughs> and I think we have a lot uh, to thank the coaching psychology unit and Tony and Michael Kavanagh, mm. because it really brought another level of rigor and sophistication. Uh, a lot of coaching purchases from the large corporates went through the coaching masters. And so they became much more educated and uh, as I said, more sophisticated in purchasing coaching services. So we saw that really develop that field. And then now health coaching, because there were two seminal articles you'll probably remember. Um, I'm pretty sure the Positive Health Seligman uh, published a paper called Positive Health in 2008. I just went back to have a look at it recently. And the POS education positive education was 2009 I'm pretty sure and then positive education just took off yeah, like Geelong did. and then I was involved at Knox and then many other schools yeah. after that but the positive health didn't nothing much really happened here I mean I was involved in uh, we run leadership coaching at the Sydney Children's Hospital we're working with intensive care New South Wales at the moment so we've had a little bit in health but when I went to this conference last week, I was blown away at how much is happening in the health coaching space. Yeah. Um, but in saying that, there were varying degrees of knowledge of and interest in positive psychology. So I still see there's opportunity for people in health coaching to realise what a wealth of information and you know such rich material there is that they could be drawing on for health coaching. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what happened early on when I was going to coaching conferences, I would present at coaching conferences on positive psych. And my argument would be, well, coaching's defined as a science for performance and well-being, but you don't know anything about well-being science. Like, yeah. you know, so why aren't you looking at positive psych? But then I go to positive psych conferences and there were very few coaches there. But uh, just recently, you and I were at IPA Congress in uh, Vancouver and I was on a panel with my esteemed colleagues. It was standing room only. And it was like, finally, people are getting how important coaching is. So I've been on a very privileged journey to observe the evolution of coaching psychology, positive psychology, and the field of positive psychology coaching, which is an, another area that I've been uh, interested in. 
Mm, absolutely. And you've done a lot of work, obviously, um, in expanding the field. So not just doing coaching with people uh, yeah. and, and being an expert from that perspective, but really expanding the field of um, positive psychology coaching and that integration between. What do you really love about it? Like whether it's the one on one or the bigger picture from a field, what, what lights you up? Wow. I think because I'm primarily a practitioner, Sue, and even though I have still have uh, two honorary academic positions, I'm a practitioner at heart. So from the very beginning, I was working as a clinician. I was studying ClinSight when I came across PosSight and even going back to study. So I studied clinical psych. I did my psych undergrad in my late 20s. Then I moved into ClinSight in my early 30s. And at the time studying clinical psych, it was powerful because I had some younger you know, peers that had come straight from uni, but I had been, I was working in a psychiatric clinic at the time. I'd had some life experience. So I was, as I was learning about clinical psychology and then moving into positive psych and coaching psych, it's, you're, you're thinking about how can we use this? Because, you know, you're already working as a practitioner. So it's a lovely way to, to take that knowledge and think about how am I going to practically use this in a one-on-one, which for many, many years, that was my primary focus. It, it wasn't really until I had my first gig at positive, uh, in positive ed with Knox Grammar, which was in 2010, that I had the real opportunity to go large scale with this, which was a bit overwhelming at the time because I'd never really done that. Um, so now, you know, I still have a handful of senior exec coaching clients, which I love. I've just recently come back to that. And then I do a lot of education, which I am, in many ways, I am an academic because I'm a, I see myself as a teacher and I love teaching. But simultaneously, as I said before, I'm thinking about how can this practically work at an individual, at a team level, and then across an organisation. Now, in having worked with schools as smaller organisations, I've had the brilliant opportunity of working with some schools Perth College, for example, for four years. So we really had time to see what this could look like, you know, being implemented. And you really do need time. It's, as you know, it doesn't happen overnight. Um, but in, you know, in the larger institutions, which we primarily work with now, it's still really challenging because they're huge monstrosities in, in many senses, you know, and the right leg doesn't know it or the right hand doesn't know what the left hand's doing. And so I haven't seen the strategic or sustainable implementation of, if we want to call it well-being science, done very well in, in large organisations yet. I'd be interested to see if you have, but um, I think there's still a lot of room for improvement. I also think it's got to do with perhaps the maturity of the leaders, mm -hmm. the wisdom of the leaders. And, um, yeah, I actually just spoke to an associate this morning who's taking a, a position in an organization here in Australia. And uh, she said that their senior leadership said to her, you need to know you have the most important role in this organization. Now she's coming in as an organizational psychologist with knowledge in positive psych and coaching psych in particular. And to have the, the senior leaders of that organization acknowledge that, that's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, look, I think it's a really interesting one because I think more organisations are taking well-being seriously yeah. uh, since COVID and since policy has basically said you need to, which is True. helpful. That's um, right. 
but actually how to do it is still uh, sometimes a little hit and miss. I've, I've seen one organization do it really well. And then unfortunately, some of the people that were driving it moved on. That happens. Then fell over, which was a bit of a shame. Um, what yeah. I do see is a lot of people really wanting to do a good job, whether it's in schools, um, organizations, not-for-profits, et cetera. Um, so I know there's a lot of people behind it. And I suppose what I love is what you and I both do is help other people of how do you do it how do you do it well how do you bring well-being science to life in a real life setting which is awesome that's that's right and and some of those people even though they move on sometimes then they're taking all of that ripple effect into a new organization which isn't such a bad thing but I know as a I guess a provider it's been disappointing when you just feel like you're getting some runs on the board (laughs) and then the leader goes and then unfortunately you've probably seen this too I've seen leaders come in and it's out of ego that they decide oh this isn't what I'm doing this is what we wanted rather than wow we're doing some great work and let's build on it it's like out with the old and I need to put my stamp on it which I find yeah frustrating (laughs) (laughs) yes but understandable from a human behavior perspective unfortunately yeah yes that's true so you mentioned obviously um IPA and and I know we've spoken about this before but for those listening um there's lots of different ways you can learn about PodPsych now or be involved and the IPA conference the world congress is sort of one of the the big ones every other year and then we've got the European congress etc and uh, both you and I just said we much prefer the European ones that we obviously shouldn't (laughs) say too much Um, but there is something about these different conferences so if people want to attend why would you say they either should or they shouldn't whether it's things like happiness causes that you and I both involved in or whether it's some of the bigger overseas ones why are they useful to you and why might they be useful or not to our listeners well for me I am so energized by by those congresses and I think because I know so many people now because I've been going to them for years um they're they're so energizing um I find it harder now to actually get to the sessions because as you probably know you're walking there and then someone approaches you and then you know you've missed half the session in a conversation um and I know there were a few really good sessions that I heard about afterwards that I thought damn I wish I'd gone to that session um but yeah you learn so much Uh, my tip though is uh, I often suggest to people I mean, clearly, if you've never been and you've never heard some of the big names, it's always special to go and hear Barbara Fredrickson or Sonia Lubomirsky. And the beauty about particularly, I'd say, Barb and Sonia is that they've always got something new happening. They've got their new research. It's never just a repeat performance, which I love that. But I always take myself down to the poster presentations because that's where the students are, you know, developing their ideas and whether it's a master's or an honours or a PhD. And so they're right at the cutting edge of the new research because, as you know, Sue, when people are doing research, they have to do a lit review to start with to see where are we at with the research, what are the gaps in the research, and that then informs your research question. So I get a lot of value out of the posters, and I usually go when the big sessions are on so that I can walk around undisturbed and really, you know, um, take photos as well. But uh, but um, meeting the networks is just incredible as well. So I had uh, a colleague here. She was uh, in quite a senior position here in Australia. She left it, came to meet me a couple of months before IPA, and then, Uh, she asked me what I was doing and I told her about the Congress and she said, oh, that sounds amazing. You know, I I think I'll come. Anyway, she was just so inspired. She met so many people. 
Um, and I think, yeah, you you go back and you think about what am I doing and how can I actually use and continue to stay connected to that community because it really is a global community of yeah. people. So, yeah, it's they're, they're wonderful. And I think one of the hardest things, which you will agree with, um, is how do we stay on top of the research and the science? And I, I often, you know, reflect on when I was teaching at Sydney Uni, 2004 five I think we changed the name of my subject to applied positive psych around 2006 because there was so much research coming but at that time I I could quote every study like I knew every study you know and then it got to a point where I had to let it go that I couldn't possibly know the research and even now I'm pretty broad, which I'm sure you are too. And then you get those opportunities, whether it's like a presentation at happiness, like you've done before and where you get an opportunity to go deeper and do a bit of a lit review, you know? So at the moment I'm about to do a media campaign. Um, it's not launched yet. So I can't say who it's with. It's in a, com- a global company actually. And uh, it's, it's going to be on passion. And um, so I've been able to go back. I, I have one of our virtual volunteers does a literature review and then I'll, you know, then I'll start reading the papers and putting it together. But I haven't looked at the Valoran's original research for quite a while. So things have developed since I looked, had a chance to go deeper. So I think, yeah, it's hard to stay on top of the research. So attending conferences, journal clubs, where I'm a big fan of a journal club. We hold an internal one here. Um, it, I mean, you do some great work, Sue, with your podcasts and your um, pod. I'm a big fan of podcasts. It's just constant, constant learning, isn't yeah. it? Well, I'm the same because um, it's not so good for the trees because I often do print a paper out and I'll take it with me on a plane or I'll I'll have a pile of them dotted around where I have them, the ones <laughs> I want to go through. And uh, and then, yeah, trying to keep on top of them is, is impossible. But I'm like you in the Learn With Sue member sessions that we do. So not just the podcast, but the member sessions. Um, I'm the same. We go deep. Like we spend an hour talking about courage or an hour on or an hour on passion and and yeah, it's like oh let's get stuck in it's great <laughs> it is because there are as we know there are um it's an umbrella term positive psych and that was one of the as you would know challenges early on sorry i'm just gonna have to plug myself in here for a second i've lost that lost my battery being the energizer <laughs> bunny that i am um and yeah there's so many constructs that fit sit under that umbrella that uh, yes, and there's often at the conferences, you do tend to see the same ones, although that's not a bad thing because, for example, gratitude, there's been so much more nuanced research that's been done recently. And I, I had an opportunity to review that literature last October when I went to present in Rome at the ICF Rome conference and they wanted to, to me to talk about gratitude and coaching. So that was a great opportunity to look mm-hmm. at that. But there's so many wonderful topics to, to learn about and to think about how do these practically work in, in the world or in our lives. Yeah, and one of the questions that I actually got asked um, last night, so I was being interviewed last night, and the question that I got asked that I'd love to ask you is um, as the field of positive psychology has expanded, there was originally a um, critique, and it's still sometimes uh, leveled, the critique that it's very white and educated and weird, as in, you know, the... the oh, yeah. Um, and yet I personally see a lot of cross-cultural stuff with the nuance. So what's your view on how it's ex- how positive psych has expanded from a cultural perspective? 
yeah, there's a lot more being written, even in our book, Positive Psychology Coaching in the Workplace, there's a chapter in there across cultural considerations. Um, I'm also sitting on the Scientific Advisory Board for Coach Hub, which is a, one of the global tech platforms for coaching, and we have an incredible um, council, uh, people, primarily academics, so I have access to here Know, cutting edge research coaching which is amazing and there's a lot more discussion we have really do have a representative global scientific council so it's been great learning for me because I think some of the conferences have been very western um, and again that research emerging positive site really out of the US in, in the early days but I think we're starting to see a lot more same similarly with uh, with coaching and coaching psychology a lot more consideration now. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I'm seeing a lot more. And yes, the fund, there's a lot of funding, if you like, that comes from, bless you. Uh, there's a lot of funding that comes from the US. So of course, people are going to be attracted to unis there. But we're seeing a lot of nuance in different areas, um, a lot of nuance in different cultures, etc. So um, yeah. obviously, you and I have done some fun things together before. And we're talking about maybe doing some fun things together again. Um, yes. And uh, and it's always really cool. I love seeing the the journeys that we're on. And I, um, as I say, I never wanted to be a a, a coach and a, and a psychologist. And I really admire people who do because I just sort of swan off. And the idea of sitting down with somebody and doing that long term, I really admire um, that intense conversation. That the change that you get to see over time. So, what do you do to coach yourself to look after your own well being to support your own uh, positive psychology strategy? Yeah, good question, Sue. I've been pretty pedantic about my well-being, possibly to the point of having very strong boundaries, which I'm trying to actually be a bit more relaxed about. But I worked out relatively early. I had my children in my 20s, late um, mid to late 20s. I worked out very quickly that I couldn't be, you know, the, the better parent if I was tired. And so from having children, I prioritise sleep. And um, if you hear me interviewed on any podcast, I will all talk about the nap. I'm a big fan of the nap. Me too, I love, <laughs> love a nap. And my mum used to say, you know, that my grandmother's a cat napper and that my mum could never do that. But I absolutely can. And I don't even need an alarm. I put one on if it's during the, the work week and no, I need to get up. But normally I could just lay down and I wake up before the alarm like I've got it nailed between 10 and 15 minutes I yeah. was the same I set my alarm on my watch for 15 and I usually wake up at 12 or 13 yeah. and I'm bang I'm done it's so good <laughs> isn't it yeah. and it because I'm an early bird I, I get up most mornings 5 to 5 30 um, because that's when I can hear myself think much a lot more clarity in the mornings and if I've got to focus on something without interruptions yeah. but then yeah by three o'clock if I can get a nap I will nap and then I'm up and I can continue to work for a bit longer I do work hard work ethic is one <laughs> one of my learned behaviors <laughs> on the strength profile but um, but I also exercise so again from my 20s um, I've had a very regular exercise, um, although that's changed over time. Um, I really mix it up now. I used to run for many years and then I overdid it. I was too mentally tough, Sue, on the half marathon and I should have stopped running when my, when my brain was telling me to. <laughs> 
but I, I, I had it in my head that I wanted to be able to say that I'd run a half marathon. So I continued to force myself. And so did a little bit of an injury, but yeah, so I got my exercise. I meditate uh, morning, every morning, um, most evenings, not always every evening, but um, yeah. And I eat well and I value my relationships and yeah, I try to take care of myself because I realize that I'm not the best version of myself. And when I'm working, I'm not by any means saying I'm perfect or, you know, but if I'm working with people and particularly from a coaching perspective, I need to be in the best shape possible to help people be their best selves. Mm. Yeah, and I'm totally with you on that. And I had this conversation this morning is the research tells us that we um, are impacted by and impact the people around us, you know, that whole ripple effect and um, yes. from the Framingham uh, Heart Study and from Kim Cameron's work, Energizers, etc. We know that that impact happens. And I know in pop psychology, you often hear the, we're the sum of the top five people we hang out with or something. And people often take that to mean, okay, I've got to be careful who I hang out with. For me, the, the, when I read that original research by Christakis and Fowler, my, my immediate response is, how am I showing up? That's the responsibility yes. um, of what yes. am I putting out there? So I totally understand that if you're not your best, the ripple effect you're creating is not going to be the best either. Yes, absolutely. Yes, I thought when I read that, I thought the same thing and the same with like, mirror neurons, like, yes, we can be affected by others, but how can we positively affect others? And yeah. So, yeah, so I try to do that as much as I can. But, yeah, I guess we all have our our good days and our not so good days. But I try to, you know, turn up as, as in my best possible form as much as I can. Yeah. Like you say, sometimes adversity hits and it's not always easy. <laughs> Absolutely. So from a future perspective, where would you like to see the future of uh, positive psychology, the science of well-being, coaching psychology? Where would you like to see that going? Yeah, well, one of the presentations that I did miss, I don't know whether you attended that, that was the final one that uh, I can't awesome. think of the... Elizabeth Dunn. Yeah, Elizabeth Dunn, yeah. Elizabeth Dunn, and from what I heard, there was a critique of the research that's been done. So I think definitely we need more rigour. Um, I mean, I've been critical of papers in the past because... I mean, I've been a reviewer on a number of papers and when I review a paper, I will clearly say I'm not an expert in statistics. This paper needs to be reviewed by someone with statistical expertise. And I've always worried about that and questioned that because I don't think that happens. I don't, I don't know when papers are reviewed, there's one allocated person that's a statistical expert that reviews it. That's not my understanding. So how many papers have got through I wouldn't be able to pick up, I mean, unless you're doing statistics all day, every day, I would argue you should not be reviewing statistical analysis, <laughs> like, you know, unless you feel really confident at it. So I'd love to see more rigour um, so that we can strongly stand up and say that the, you know, the evidence is there. I've also been over the years very, um, not critical, but I've been upfront by saying, if I quote a paper, I'll say it's actually only been one study done on this or only two studies. And that's because I'm a nerd when it comes to this stuff. So I, I do know that. And yeah. I know not everybody has that same level of knowledge. So, yes, definitely more rigour. Um, yeah. I'd love to see it go more widespread in schools. At this stage, it is primarily still the pendules. It's slowly moving 
into, uh, I guess, public education. Pre-COVID, we were really on a momentum with positive education, mm. whether you want to call it that or not. I'm not attached to that, but definitely looking at wellbeing science and, and um, I guess, helping schools understand that it, it's integral well-being mm. um, and sustainability, um, not just well, personal sustainability, planetary sustainability. So education is an area I feel strongly about, uh, but also in workplaces uh, to see continued uptake. And my uh, position on this has always been as a clinical psych, historically you wouldn't come and seek some help or learn some of the strategies unless you had a problem or you were suffering. Schools and workplaces are key institutions in our society where people can learn these skills you know learn these capabilities and they're as you know not just to prevent mental illness they definitely can support well-being but they're for our capability building and, and I usually say not just for leaders because for many years it's all been about leadership capability but what about just personal capability you know learning <laughs> these skills for just to be the you know the best that we can be as human beings yeah yeah, I agree. And I noticed you posted something that you're currently reading The Art of Positive Communication. And it was funny this morning because that's a lot of stuff that we do. And I was doing that for somebody earlier on today. Um, but if you had to pick uh, a couple of really good books that you would recommend in this space, whether it's coaching specifically or whether it's post-site, what are your must must reads? There's so many, aren't there? The ones that come to mind, I've only just started reading uh, Julian's book and it's brilliant and, and I think it's been it's much been much needed really and as you're aware one of the key components of POS uh, leadership Kim Cameron's work um, so I'm looking forward to reading that one book that I think I'd love to see more organizations read is Jane Dutton and Monica Warline's Awakening Compassion in the Workplace I think is the correct title I love that book because it gives some really practical strategies about uh, for leaders on how to enact compassion uh, but it also uh, suggests or recommends to them they can be influential um, in, you know at, at the organizational level as well so so yeah I love that book I mean Kim Cameron's book if he, any of his book any of Jane Dutton's book I yep. love all of the work at the center for positive workplaces I think they do brilliant work um, I, I love Robert Robert Viswas-Dina's new book, Positive Provocation. Yeah, it's on the and, table behind me. <laughs> on the table behind you because when uh, Robert kindly gifted me a copy at IPA and I said to him, oh, wow, I'm going to read that at the Bear Lodge because I went to a Bear Lodge after after the Vancouver conference. And he said, no, he said, don't read it there. And he said, enjoy yourself on your holiday firstly. But he said, it's meant to be savoured like a Christian meal. Like it's meant to, you read one chapter and then you reflect on it. So that's what I'm doing. I'm taking it really slow with that. But incredibly, so much in there that he says, and I've emailed him about this, that I've thought, a lot of it I've thought about. I might not have even articulated. Sometimes I've, I may have articulated, but it's a brilliant book. It really does challenge a lot of those uh, assumptions, particularly in, in coaching. Mm, yeah he is absolutely the guru in that but it's interesting you say Jane Dutton and Kim Cameron as well because I've been lucky enough to interview both of those and Bob Quinn and um, I have to say they're just the loveliest of people as well beautiful human beings who genuinely want to go in the world and that's the people that I ideally should be in this field so yeah 
Well, thank you for being another one of those beautiful human beings in this field. And I look forward to continuing to connect with you, whether it's at conferences or whether we do get to play together again with something more. But thank you for giving up the last sort of half an hour of your time. And I hope our listeners found something interesting because um, you really do have so much that you've been putting out there over the last sort of 20 years and so much more that I'm sure will be coming that people can follow. So thank you, Susie. I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Sue. It's been a privilege and a joy to be on this journey with you over this time period as well and for all the wonderful work that you do. Thank you, my dear. And thank you, everybody, for listening to our Walk and Talk podcast. Please stay tuned next week for the next one. And if you do want to consider becoming a member of our Learn With Sue member forum, we've got all sorts of live sessions, recordings, courses, etc., on the portal. So jump on learnwithsue.com.au to find out more. Thanks, everyone.